I don't want you to respond out loud or even raise your hand. But I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin, and I want you to think about your answer to this question. How many of you are in a situation or a circumstance where you need to know what to do, but you simply don't know what to do? Again, I don't want you to answer out loud. I'm not want to put anybody on the spot. I don't even want you to raise your hand this morning. But your testimony today would be, I'm in a situation or a circumstance where I simply need to know what to do. And I don't know what to do. Maybe you would ask the question this way. I'm in a situation where I need to know what God desires for me to do or maybe you're wrestling with it this way what is God's will in this particular situation or circumstance in my life are you wrestling with knowing the will of God the desire of God or maybe you're asking it another way maybe you're just saying I'm in a situation and I just need to know what is the right thing to do. As we prayed earlier, in a, in a crowd like this, there are all kinds of needs and burdens. Maybe today you're in a, a situation in your job where you've got an opportunity for a promotion or maybe you've got an opportunity to take a new job or maybe you don't have a job and you're looking for a job and in the middle of all those situations about job and occupation and vocation and looking at the situation maybe you're just saying I need to know what God wants me to do concerning my job maybe for you it's not a job question maybe it's a relationship question maybe you're a single adult and you are in a dating relationship with someone and it's at that point in the relationship where you're asking the question what's next right what's the next step in this relationship how do I know the right thing to do is it the will of God for me to take another step in this relationship or is it the will of God for me to to step out of this relationship when you're in those situations you need to know what to do but you don't know what to do what steps do you take maybe it's a situation that is not <coughs> directly your situation maybe it's a situation where you are in a relationship with your kids or a friend or a family member and they're coming to you and saying here's what's going on here's what's happening and I need to know the right decision I need to know what to do maybe you're in the middle of that and if you were honest today you'd say pastor as you describe that that's man that's where I'm living I, I need to know what to do in this particular situation and right now I'm I'm confused or, Pastor, right now I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit stressed out. 
Pastor, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, I really need to, this is not, you know, I just kind of, I really need to know what to do. It's at the point where it's decision time. I need some direction. I'm, Pastor, I'm getting worried about this. I may be even a little bit afraid about this. Well, if any of that resonates at all with you this morning, you are in the right place. Let me tell you why. Because for the month of October, we are going to explore a series, and here's the title of it. What do you do when you don't know what to do? For the entire month of October, every weekend, that's what we're going to be unpacking. And as our basis for this series, we're going to be drawing principles from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament. You can go ahead and if you have your Bible with you this morning, take it and turn to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is an Old Testament book that was written to give us God's wisdom for every area of our life. And and I want to just be really transparent with you this morning. I love the Word of God. If you've been coming to hope for any length of time at all, you know that I am passionate about the Word of God. I'm passionate about it when I'm teaching it. I mean, I just can't keep it in. I'm not just trying to be loud. I'm just a passionate guy about the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I love Genesis to Revelation. I even love the maps at the end. I, I love the Word of God. But listen. There's no book in the Bible that has impacted my life personally more than the book of Proverbs. When I was in junior high, I wasn't even a Christian yet. And I had a a youth pastor that sat me down one day and he taught me. He said, Vance, did you know there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? I didn't even know where the book of Proverbs was. No, I didn't know that. But he said, Vance, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. He said, most months have 30 or 31 days in the month. He said, Vance, I want to challenge you every day of your life to read the proverb that corresponds with the day of the month and do that for the rest of your life. For almost 30 years now, I have been daily, not with perfection, obviously, but daily as a pursuit, trying as a part of my devotional time to read Proverbs. If you were to go and get any of the Bibles that I use, any of the Bibles that have been used in my life where I've spent time in them, if you flip through those Bibles, I promise you when you get to the book of Proverbs, you are going to find underlines and notes and wrinkled pages because for 30 years daily, I've been trying to read the proverb that corresponds with the day of the month, and I promise you there is no book in the Bible that has changed my life and spoken into my life more than the book of Proverbs. Now, sometimes what I'll do in reading the book of Proverbs is I'll change up the translation that I'm reading it in because I find myself, now after 30 years of doing this every month, I find myself, I'll start reading a proverb, and I'm not even, I'm reading it, but I'm not reading it because I've read it so many times, I can just read right through it and not even read it. So I'll change up the translation that I'm reading it in 
to throw myself a curveball, right? Because now I'm reading it and it's not saying it the same way again. So I'm reading it fresh and reading it new. And so I've got eight or ten different translations of the Bible that I will read the book of Proverbs in to try to glean wisdom for everyday life. So, so, so we're challenging you through the month of October. I'm not asking you to do it for 30 years. I'm asking you to do it for 31 days. Now, let me warn you. When you start, you're going to be hooked. But I want to challenge you through the month of October in preparation for what we're doing in the weekends and in our groups. I want to challenge you to daily read the proverb that corresponds to the day of the month. So we're going to do that all through the month of October. Now, here's what Warren Wiersbe says. Look at this quote on the screen. In Proverbs... The words wise and wisdom are used at least 125 times because the aim of the book is to help us acquire and apply God's wisdom to the decisions and activities of our daily life. Now hold that quote up there for a minute. Look at that last phrase. God's wisdom in the decisions and activities of my daily life. Now I want you to respond. How many of you need that? Let me see your hand. Keep them up for a second. Some of you got them both up, right? (laughs) Yes! If I need anything, preacher, I need that. I need God's wisdom. Listen, that's why God gave us the book of Proverbs. That's why we have it. What do I do when I don't know what to do? We learn from the book of Proverbs some principles and some life applications to know what to do when we don't know what to do. So, As we launch into this series this morning, I want to give you two prerequisites. Two prerequisites. I had a mentor in my life named Clyde Cranford, and Clyde uh, discipled me, and he spoke a lot of truth into my life. We met together for about a year and a half, and he would just speak truth into my life. And I'm so grateful for that man of God that God used in my life. But Clyde taught me two prerequisites. If we really want to know the right thing, if we want to know God's will, There are two prerequisites. One of these is deeply convicting. The other one is deeply encouraging. Let me give them to you. Here's the first one. It's not on the screen. Here's the first one. God will not reveal his will to us as an option. That's going to sink in with some of you later. God will not show you his plan as an option. Let me give you a quote. Look on the screen. This is what Clyde said. Some would have God lay his will out on the table along with the other options. We could probably give the invitation now, right? And just. (laughs) But they reserve the final decision for themselves. Though they definitely want to know God's will, they will follow it only if they think it is their best option. Their major concern is their own will, not God's. Before they can know God's will, they must be willing to follow it no matter what it might be. Wow. Hey, you just had to read it off a screen. He said it to me sitting in front of me. I had no wiggle room. I couldn't say, well, that must be for somebody else. It's me and him. Do 
you really want to know God's will? Do you really want to know what to do? Or do you want to know so you can consider it? Here's the second prerequisite. If you didn't pick up on it, that was the deeply convicting one. Here's the deeply encouraging one. God wants us to know His will more than we want to know it. God wants you to know what to do more than you want to know. Now that ought to encourage you today. Sometimes we have this idea that God is this cruel master playing chess games with our life. And he's moving the parts on the board so that we're always guessing. Understand something. God's glory is what's at stake. And God is jealous for his glory. My obeying and doing the will of God, that is the way that God glorifies himself through my life as I follow God's plan and God's purpose and God's pattern. So the ultimate reality is that God wants me to know even more than I want to know. And listen, there's sometimes I think I want to know pretty bad. But he wants you to know even more than you want to know. So with that, as the two prerequisites. God's not going to show you as an option. God wants you to know it more than you want to know it. I want to give you an opening life application. Now, every weekend, we're going to give you a life application. Then we're going to dig in. You can flip over to Proverbs chapter 6. That's where we're going to be reading today. If you've been following along with us this week, Proverbs 6 is what you read this morning. Each weekend, we're going to be preaching out of the Proverbs as we read through them together. Each weekend, we're going to give you a life application. And I want to say something to you up front. There is no formula to knowing and doing the will of God. We're not going to give you a one, two, three step thing, and you're going to be able to walk out of here and every time go one. Relationships are not math, right? I mean, sometimes in a relationship, you do this and you get this. Sometimes in a relationship, you do this and you get this, right? This is not a formula that we're putting together so that we can deduce from God what we want to know. What we're going to give you is a framework. These four principles go together that we're going to unpack over the next four weekends. Listen, let me encourage you. I know that schedules get busy. Let me encourage you to stay with us over these four weekends. Come, worship with us. If for some reason you can't be here, follow along online and keep up because these four principles go together. And let me tell you what they do. They provide a framework that enable us to discern the voice of God in our daily life. No one of these by themselves is a silver bullet to knowing the will of God. But each of these four principles woven together provide a framework through which we can discern God speaking into our lives on a daily basis. How many of you want God to speak into your life on a daily basis? Let me see your hand. 
Listen, here's what I'm telling you. Out of the book of Proverbs over the next four weekends, we're going to give you a framework by which that happens. If you're excited about that, say amen. amen. Listen, I'm excited about it. Let me tell you why I'm excited about it. Because over 30 years, these principles have changed my life. I'm not talking to you today as a paid salesman. I'm talking to you today as a satisfied customer. All right? So here's life application number one. When you don't know what to do, you must turn to what God has said in his word and trust that he knows best. I want you to read that out loud with me off the screen. You ready? One, two, three. When you don't know what to do, you must turn to what God has said in his word and trust that he knows best. That's life application number one. Proverbs chapter six. The writer of Proverbs this morning, if you were reading along with us, this morning, the writer of Proverbs talked about this. And tomorrow morning when you get up and read Proverbs chapter 7, the first half of Proverbs chapter 7, he says it again. Just in case you skipped the sixth day of the month, he's going to get you on the seventh day of the month by saying the same thing. And listen, God did not need to repeat himself. But he did repeat himself here because of the power of this principle. Proverbs 6, look at verse 20. Before I read it, let me say this to you. <clears throat> Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father speaking into the life of his children, into the life of his son, oftentimes. So we're reading from that vantage point. That's why many times you'll see this, what we're about to read. My son, verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. The writer of Proverbs was writing in an oral culture, an oral tradition where they passed down from generation to generation orally the word of God. When he's talking about the commandment of your father and the teaching of your mother, he's talking about those times when his mom and dad, they would pour into the life of their children the word of God. They would pass on the commandments of God. They would hand down the teachings of God. My son... Observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Listen, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Out of those verses, I want to give you, I want to ask and answer three questions to lay this first principle down. When you don't know what to do, you must turn to what God has said in his word and trust that he knows best. Here's, here's the first question. Why did God give us his word? Why did God give us his word? Now, I am not going to exhaustively answer that question for you this morning. That's a whole sermon series by itself. But I do want to draw two practical reasons that the writer of Proverbs gives us here to answer the question why God gave us his word. Look at verse 23. He says, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Here's the first practical reason God gave us his word. He gave us his word to show us the way. 
The Bible says the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. What is light? You ever tried to think about a definition for the word light? In your mind right now, I want you to try to define, you look up here, you see these things on the ceiling, light. Did you know that in Webster's Dictionary there are over 30 definitions for the word light? And I'm not talking about light like not heavy or light like to ignite something on fire or light like to get off a horse. You're dismounting a horse. I've lighted from that. We don't use that a lot, but that's another definition. I'm not talking about any of those. I'm just talking about 30 definitions to define what is coming out of this little canister up here, light. How would you define light? Let me, let me give you a couple of definitions. Here's one of them. An electromagnetic radiation in the wavelength range, including infrared, visible, ultraviolet, and x-rays, and traveling in a vacuum with a speed of about 186,281 miles per second. Now, let me just say to you, when I say what is light, if that comes to your mind, you need to get out more often. <laughs> you are spending way too much time with a dictionary. <laughs> let me give you another definition of the word light. Here's my, my, my favorite. Not dark. Now we're on my wavelength, right? I can wrap my head around that. But there's another definition that I think really is applicable here. Here's the definition of the word light. Something that makes vision possible. Did you know without light, it's not possible to see? God so created our eyes that our eyes, as wonderful as a creation as wonderful as a creation that they are, without light coming into our lives to or into our eyes to be reflected, your eyes don't work. That's why when you get in a really, really, really dark place, you can put your hand right here and you can't see it because our eyes are still functioning, but without light, you can't see. Light is that which makes vision possible. The same thing is true spiritually. We cannot see the will of God apart from God's Word. The psalmist said the Word, or the writer of Proverbs said the Word, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. It is the Word of God that brings light into our lives and enables us to see the will of God. The psalmist in Psalm 119, some of you memorized this verse as a little kid. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Growing up in Alabama, a regular part of life in Alabama is tornadoes. I was born and raised there, lived there until I was about 23 years old. In Alabama, tornadoes are a way of life. You just get used to it. I mean, it's not even something that you really think about that often. But Alabama and the state of Kansas have recorded more F5 tornadoes than any other state in the United States of America. And Alabama, its uniqueness in the tornado world is that it's one of the only locations in the world that actually has more than one tornado season throughout a given year. So tornadoes are just something, when you're in school, we're taught how to handle tornadoes. We do all the tornado drills growing up in school. I remember going out in the hall, taking the book, putting it over your head and getting on your knees and doing the whole deal with tornado drills. Tornadoes are just a way of life. But a part of tornadoes and the storms that come with them are power outages. 
It's a very common occurrence when you grow up in Alabama for the storms to come, the tornado warnings to be going off, and all of a sudden, the power just goes out. Now, when the power goes out in Las Vegas, it's dark. But when the power goes out in Alabama, I'm telling you, there's a difference in city dark and country dark. (laughs) It's dark. It's dark. Those storms have rolled in. There's clouds. The trees are overhanging. There are no stars. It's dark. One of the things you do in Alabama, because you know tornado season's coming, you know power's going to go out, is you always have three or four places in the house where you know you have either flashlights or you have candles and matches. And everybody in the house knows where they are. Let me tell you what I learned as a little boy. When it gets dark, if you don't know where the light is, you are in trouble. (laughs) The word is a lamp. The Word is light. God gave it to show the way. And the reason so many Christians live in fear, in frustration, with stress and with anxiety and with confusion is that they don't seek God daily in His Word and then they wonder when the situation comes up, why don't I know what to do? People often ask, as a pastor, Pastor, I need you to give me some counsel about what to do in this situation. You know the first question. If you've ever asked me that question, you know the first question I always ask people is this. Tell me about your daily time in the Word. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, that's good. Um, Yeah, I try to do that. Listen to me. And I'm not, I'm I'm trying to help you today. Turn on the light. If you walk in the darkness, you will stumble over things you do not see. But if you walk in the light, you can see some things that you would not normally see. He gave us his word to show us the way. You cannot divorce yourself from regularly being in the word of God and then come to those situations and know what to do. There's no shortcut, there's no formula, there's no little magical potion that we can create in those moments to get discernment from God. It comes out of regularly sitting at the feet of the Word of God and letting God's light bring sight into my life so that in those situations I know what to do. He gave us His Word to show us the way. Let me tell you the second reason He gave us His Word. He gave us His Word to correct us when we're going the wrong way.
he said the lamp, uh, the commandments of teaching, the, the lamp and the teaching is a light. And then he said this, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. It's a great phrase. The word reproofs is a word that primarily means to correct something that's wrong. He said God gave us his word as a lamp, but he also gave it to us to reprove us, to correct us when we're wrong. And he says reproofs for discipline. We hear the word discipline, and it's like a bad word in our culture today. We think of discipline, and we immediately think of punishment. That's not the word here. The word here is the word instruction. A better visual for this is not a (coughs) person that's being punished for something they did wrong. It's a coach speaking into the life of a player to correct them about a technique that is bad to make them more successful at whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. When I first moved to Las Vegas, one of the first things that we did to start engaging with people and meeting people, my boys were both at that age. One of the oldest one was at that age where he was starting to play t-ball and baseball. And so I started coaching Little League and got involved coaching. I've always loved baseball. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, we get to watch college football and baseball in the postseason all in the same day. It's awesome. I love it. So I love baseball. And, you know, you're coaching little leaguers with, and you say, okay, it's time for you to bat. It's time for you to go get a hit. And they grab the bat. Sometimes they hold it on the wrong end. And it always kills me, the one little boy who's never played baseball before, he'll go up and you say, go up to home plate. You're going to hit. He'll go stand on home plate and look straight at the pitcher like this. Like he's going to bat at it like this when it's... now. When you see a kid come up there like that, you know, hey, this isn't going to work out too good, right? So what do you do? You go up there and you say, no, you don't stand on the plate. You stand beside the plate. And you, you help them know how to, to line themselves up and to, to take an approach. And you show them how to hold the bat on the right end. And you begin to talk to them about balance and footwork and all the things that, that are important with, with hitting a baseball. That is reproofs for discipline. It's not punishing them because they did something wrong. You are correcting them so that they can be more successful at what the task is that they're trying to accomplish. The Bible says that the Word of God not only shows us the way, but as we spend time in the Word, the Word points out those things in our life where we need correction So that we can be more blessed, successful, faithful, accomplished. Listen to the way the writer of Proverbs said it in Proverbs chapter 7 verse 2. Look at this. He says, keep my commandments and, say it out loud. Read the whole thing. Let's go. One, two, three. Keep my commandments and. Is that the way you view the commands of God? Keep my commands and live. Everywhere it says that in Proverbs, I've written out in my Bible, enjoy life. God didn't give us his word to rob us of joy. God didn't give us his word to bring cruelty into our life. God didn't give us commandments because he wants us to miss out on something awesome. God gave us commandments because he wants us to live. Listen, I don't let that kid stand on home plate and look right at the picture because I know that's not going to turn out good. I'm not trying to rob him of the joy of dodging baseballs. 
trying to help him. Listen, when God says, don't do that, let me tell you what he's saying. Don't hurt yourself. When God says, do this, you know what God's saying? Help yourself. We've let the enemy distort our view of this book. We've let the world distort our view of this book to somehow make us believe that if we do what this book says, we're going to miss out on all the fun in life. Hey, go talk to some of them and find out how that's working out. So God gave us his word to show us the way and to correct us when we're going the wrong way. So let me ask you a second question. What then is my attitude toward his word? As I read these verses this week, there were two phrases that I, I just couldn't get away from. They're both in verse, or, or one's in verse uh, 21, the other's in verse 20. First of all, in verse 21, he says, Bind them continually on your heart. Read that out loud. Bind them continually on your heart. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand. But I do want you to think about what is your attitude towards the Word of God. Could you say, I am continually binding the Word on my heart. The word bind is a word that means literally to tie something up. Figuratively, it means to attach to oneself. The writer of Proverbs says, man, attach the word of God to your life. And he says, do it continually. I looked at that word continually this week in the Old Testament to see some other places where that is used to understand what continually looks like. Let me give you three examples. There are more, but I want to just give you three. Number one, in Leviticus, he talks about the fire burning continually. Here's what that means. It's not start and stop. It doesn't go for a minute, then take a few weeks off, and then go back again. It's continually. A second one is in Deuteronomy chapter 28 when he talks about a parent consumed with the loss of a missing child. If you're a parent and your child is missing continually, that's on you. You never get away from that. It's all-consuming. A third illustration that he uses is in the book of Isaiah chapter 28. This word continually describes a farmer who is cultivating or tending to the ground. The farmer doesn't just go out and pick the crops and harvest. It's a year-long, 365-day-a-year cultivating, nurturing, 
continuous fire. This word continually is describing things that are ongoing and continuous. They're not sporadic. They're not in spurts. They're not hills and valleys. They're not mountain peaks and valley floors. He's describing something that is the ongoing continuous pattern. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says. If you want to know what to do, If you want to know the will of God, you have got to continuously be attaching the Word of God to your life. And if you're not doing that, when you get in those moments of darkness, you will be confused. And you won't know which way to turn. John Gill said it this way. The Word is to have an abiding place in the understanding, affections, memory, and will. Abiding place. So here's the attitude that we should have. I should treasure God's word. Now remember, none of these by themselves is a magic potion to knowing what God's will is. But here's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. If we want to be in the position to know, if we want to have a framework by which we hear God speak in our lives, there's no way to that without continually binding the word to my heart. And listen to me. If you don't have regular time in the word of God, you are kidding yourself if you think you're going to walk in the will of God. It's not going to happen. Let me show you Proverbs chapter 2. Turn back a couple of pages. If you've been reading with us this week, you read Proverbs 2. I want you to look at Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. Look at this. Because I want you to see, we're not just grabbing a little principle out of one phrase in Proverbs. These these principles that we're giving you, they saturate the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you'll receive my words and treasure, you see that if, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, do you hear all the action words? If you treasure, if you hide, if you seek, if you receive, if you hear, then look at verse 5. Then, then, Then you'll discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. We want the then without the if. I want to know what God wants me to do today. And I'd like that in a microwave where I can 30 seconds later know what it is. It doesn't work like that. The writer of Proverbs says, and I've underlined these words, I've got to receive, I've got to treasure, I've got to make my ear attentive, I've got to incline my heart, I've got to cry, I've got to lift my voice, I've got to seek, I've got to search. And as I pursue God's word, God makes himself known. Well, how do you do this? Well, we don't have time to unpack all of this this morning, but I want to give you three statements. I'm just going to mention them. But I want to give you three practical handles. What does it look like to treasure God's Word? I want to put these up on the screen. Here's the first one. Daily time in the Word. 
If you're going to treasure God's word, you need to carve out some time in your life daily to spend time in the word. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. We've provided a link to help you. If you go to the front page of our website today, hopechurchonline.com, on the front page of our website, we've put a link where you can go to a little 25-minute, 30-minute teaching that I did with a small group of people about how to spend time daily in the Word with God. It's just going to practically walk you through. You say, I don't know how to do that. We want to help you. We've given you a link so that you can know how daily to spend time with God in the Word. If you're going to treasure God's Word, number one, daily in the Word. Here's number two. Weekly time under the Word. What does that mean? Why do we do this every week? Why do we come and teach the word because the Bible teaches us that from the New Testament, from the early days of the church, they would daily gather and be in the word, but weekly they would sit under the teaching of the word of God. Listen, you need to be in a church where the word of God is weekly being taught. If I'm going to know the will of God, it doesn't matter what else that church might or might not do. I need to be in a church where the word of God is weekly being taught, where I'm sitting under the word. Here's number three. I need to consistently fellowship around the word. Here they are. How do you treasure God's word? Here's the paradigm. Are you daily in the word, personally? Are you weekly sitting under the word in worship? And are you connecting with other believers in small group fellowship to dialogue around the word? If those three things are not being fleshed out in your life, listen, you need to change your attitude towards the word of God. You will never answer the question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Unless you're treasuring the word. I'm to bind it. But let me show you a second phrase that I couldn't get away from this week. And do not forsake the teaching. He said, bind them on your heart. But also he said, don't forsake the teaching. The word forsake is a word that means to leave alone or to leave unused. Here's the point. It's one thing to be in the Word, under the Word, and around the Word. It's something else to obediently apply the Word to my life. Oh, there's a whole lot of Christians sitting in churches hearing the Word. Oh, they know the Bible verses. They can quote the doctrines. But there's a disconnect when it goes to applying that to my everyday life and how I make decisions and how I treat people at work and how I love my wife in my home or how I relate to the person that's waiting on my table at a restaurant? Am I applying the word? Here's the second attitude. Not only I need to treasure God's word, but I should apply God's word to my daily life. Am I applying God's word? James, the brother of Jesus, said this as clearly as anybody in James chapter 1, verse 22. Look at these verses on the screen. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That phrase blessed is a phrase that means a word that means the state of being marked by the fullness of God. We got a mirror over here on the stage. 
we all look in mirrors. Here's what the writer of Proverbs is saying about the Bible. The writer of Proverbs is saying that the Word of God is like a mirror. When you look into a mirror, you see in a mirror what you look like. Sometimes that's not a good experience, right? And when we look in a mirror and we see some things that aren't right, we hopefully try to fix those things, right? If something's out of place or something's crooked or there's a stain on your shirt, (coughs) we, we try to fix those things. Here's what James says about a lot of us. When it comes to the Word of God, we're like somebody who looks in a mirror and sees something wrong and we walk away and immediately we forget what we saw in the mirror. We see what God's Word says about the situation or circumstance in our life, but we walk away from that and we don't apply that into our life. If I'm going to have a right attitude, it's not just about daily being in the Word and weekly sitting under the Word and constantly fellowshipping around the Word, but the second attitude is when God shows me something in His Word, I grab it and I apply it to my life. And let me just say this. Most of the will of God for our lives is already revealed on the pages of Scripture if we'll just take it and apply it. There are those big looming questions of what to do in this situation, but I'm telling you, most of it is already right here. So I gave you a life application. I want to put it back up on the screen. When you don't know what to do, you must turn to what God has said in his word and trust that he knows best. I underlined two words because I want you to be able to take these away and remember them. If all you remember is turn and trust. Say it with me. Turn and trust. When I don't know what to do, I turn to what God said in his word and I trust that he knows best. When it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense, when it's comfortable, when it's uncomfortable, I turn and I trust. Say it again. Turn and trust. Just turn and trust. Now I want to close with the last question, and we're not going to spend much time here. I want to give you some things just to take away. But the last question is, what does God promise to those who turn and trust in his word? Listen to the verse again. Proverbs 6. When you walk about, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. Here's what he says. When I begin to value the word, when I begin to honor it and give it place in my life, three things he promises. I'll just list them. God's word will guide you. That's the word direction. How many of you need direction from God? He says God's word will guide you. That's direction. Here's the second one. God's word will watch over you. That's protection. How many of you want to know that you're walking in the security of God's protection? How does that happen? Through the Word. Let me give you the third one. It says God's Word will talk to you. That's counsel. How many of you need God to speak to you because you're in a situation and you just don't know what to do? Here's what it says. I'm reading it to you. Observe the commandment. Don't forsake the teaching. Bind them on your heart. When you do that... God's Word will guide you. 
It'll give you direction. God's word will watch over you. It'll protect you. God's word will speak to you. The Holy Spirit of God. Do you know how the Holy Spirit of God speaks into our lives? Most of the time, the primary way the Holy Spirit of God speaks into our lives is he takes the word of God and speaks into our lives through the word. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You turn to what God has said in his word and you trust that he knows best. That's principle number one. Remember, all four of these provide a framework by which we can discern God speaking into our lives. But that's number one. 